The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Today's edition is called Snapped, Kelly Stapleton, Mom of Autistic Daughter. Now, um... I know some of you will already have known the story, but probably a lot of you won't or certainly won't know the details. Um, This is the story of a Michigan mom who um, had an autistic daughter. She is 15 now. Um, She also has two other children, and um, her in no way is... In no way will some of you are going to be feel, feeling that this is, you know, what's going to be said here um, you don't agree with or certainly it's controversial. But I hope this, that by the end of this show, in which I will not only talk, but we'll be talking with um, Kelly's friends and family, and um, I hope you will be able to have more of an insight into the desperate situations that families of autistic children, particularly those who are violent, and of course not all autistic children are violent, but, um, and for that matter, not all violent children are autistic. But there is an epidemic going on in America where there are um, families trying, struggling to live with violent children. And there is precious little help for them out there. Depending upon the state you live in, there might be more help than in other states or different kinds of help. But um, certainly in the state that Kelly lived in, Michigan, there was precious little. Her daughter, Izzy, was diagnosed with uh, autism when she was two years old and um, had at that time, and, and Kelly devoted her life to trying to make her as, as um, fulfill as much of her potential as she could. Um, she actually was trying to cure her autism and took her all over the state and read all kinds of books and did whatever she could to try to um, fix all the different behavioral problems that Izzy was having. And when Izzy was a little girl and she would have temper tantrums, um, they weren't very difficult to control. But, of course, as Izzy grew, uh, got older and grew, and notably on September 3rd, 2013, when she was 14 years old, um, Izzy was almost as tall as her mother. Izzy was 4'10", her mother was 5 feet, and Izzy weighed 160 or 170 pounds, and her mother was 140. And Izzy was strong. And for years before that, each year it got worse, for years before that, Kelly was being attacked um, by her daughter. 
not, you know, she is the first to say that her daughter did not want to hurt anybody, but that she was a prisoner, the daughter was a prisoner of her violent impulses and of this disorder, autism. Um, Kelly tried getting help from all over. You'll hear more from her uh, friends and family about that. But suffice it to say for right now that she, <laughs> she spent her life, she spent from age 2 to age 14, you know, Izzy being those ages, trying to get help for her in every which way from the government, from medical professionals, and so on. And finally, um, uh, by September 3rd, 2013, Kelly had run out of options. Um, her daughter had finally been allowed to be in a rehab center, the one rehab center in Michigan <clears throat> for children who are, are autistic. And um, because of various factors coming together, notably the insurance company not wanting to pay for more um, therapy, and, and Kelly hoping that her daughter would be able to start school that September. In fact, that very day, September 3rd, 2013, is when Izzy was supposed to start school. Instead, Kelly, at the end of her rope, and what I, as the defense psychiatrist, um, of course, you all know that uh, I'm a forensic psychiatrist. That's one of my hats and an expert witness, and I was the defense psychiatrist for Kelly Stapleton. And... Um, of what I diagnosed her as having, the mental illness that I diagnosed her as having, um, I described as having made her legally insane at the date, at the time of this incident, September 3rd. And what she did was take Izzy into the woods near their Michigan home, um, tell her that they were going to make s'mores, which they did, and then um, Kelly put the grills from the s'mores, from the, you know, cooking the s'mores, um, with the uh, briquettes, not open flames, um, into their van. And she and Izzy laid down in the back seat with watching um, uh, their um, iPad and listening and, and praying and uh, having her rosary and so on. And her plan was to take Izzy to heaven, that no one on earth had been able to cure Izzy of autism or make her better, relieve her of this violence, these violent outbursts, so she was hoping that God or Jesus could do that. Now, before you cynically think that this is just some you know, story that Kelly dreamed up as an excuse, in fact, she was a really religious woman. Um, she had begun... Um, being involved in, in Christianity um, in a serious way, starting when she was a young girl. She prayed, said evening prayers with her children. She really believed uh, in intervention, you know, in, in um, people who died being able to help the people who were living, and, uh, and of course, God and, and Jesus being able to help Izzy. So um, they were found in the van before either of them died, and um, and and um, instead of sending Kelly to a psychiatric hospital, which is what the doctors in the emergency room of the hospital that she was taken to wanted to do, and she was accepted by this hospital as a danger to self and a danger to others, she was not. She was charged with murdering, with attempted murder of Izzy. She did not murder anyone. Izzy is not dead. In fact, it is questionable and has not been proven that Izzy is, in fact, any way worse today than she had been before um, 
this incident. And in fact, in many ways, she's better. And I think, you know, ironically today, we just heard the news about Oscar Pistorius getting five years for murdering his girlfriend, Reva Steenkamp. Five years. And instead, um, at the sentencing hearing, which was just a couple of weeks ago, Kelly got 10 to 22 years. Now, no one is dead. Izzy is not dead. Izzy was not murdered. It was not murder. Um, it was a, it was Kelly's idea driven to insanity because of all that she went through for all of these years. It was her belief that she was escorting Izzy to heaven. So I will stop with my little synopsis of this now to introduce you to two of her best friends, Vicki Slater and Marlo Franklin. So welcome to the show. Thank you, Thank Carol. You, Dr. Lieberman. You know, um, we're all sort of in, in a state of shock. Um, on this show, I, I've invited, as I said, some friends of Kelly's, good friends of Kelly's and family members, and we're all sort of decompressing from still in shock, really, um, at this recent sentencing. And, of course, we'll go into, um, you know, ladies, when I got home, I wrote up so that I wouldn't forget because hopefully there is going to be an appeal and hopefully there will be a trial. But I, I wrote a list of what went wrong. <laughs> Kelly Stapleton sentencing, what went wrong? So later on in the show, I'll, if we haven't covered all of them by then, I will talk about all the different things that went wrong at this sentencing, beginning with the fact that there was a sentencing instead of a trial. So, Marla, why don't I let you go first, since I know you've known um, uh, Kelly for a longer period of time. So why don't you start? With whatever it is that you're, I mean, I know we've, what you've been going through and what you would like everyone to know about this case. Well, I think that this was a, a, just an unfortunate situation for everyone. Um, you know, unfortunate for Izzy, most importantly, because um, I think that it's important to note that, you know, um, the struggles that her family has gone through in trying to get her treatment for her aggression, um, all of those struggles kind of um, lead to a very undignified life for Izzy. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that, you know, she's been subjected to a lot of different things um, as far as caregivers go. Um, they have had a really difficult time finding appropriate caregivers for her. They've had to beg and plead with insurance companies and community mental health systems and, and all these things. I think that's a very undignified life for Izzy and for her parents and her siblings to go through. So I think that's, you know, it's been a, it's been a really big struggle um, mm-hmm. for everybody, and it's, and it's really unfortunate. So, um, you know, and the thing about it is, is that Kelly had always wanted Izzy to live a very dignified life, and that's what, you know, her family was working towards, um, you know, having her really involved in the community all the time, which I think is very admirable because when you have a child who's um, severely impacted, especially with aggression, it is very difficult to keep them in their community and um, continue to let them have outings and, and you know, be involved. So I admire them a lot for for doing that with her. Yes, and, you know, of course, the one thing Kelly wanted um, most of all, which is um, why she never went through with suicide herself, um, is that she didn't want Izzy to be left alone. She wanted to be able to always protect Izzy. And how sad it is that now, in fact, um, she's in prison and Izzy not... You know, Izzy has a father who's taking care of her and so on, but her, but Kelly had always wanted to be there for her to protect her. 
Exactly. And Kelly would always say that um, parents that have autistic children or children with disabilities are the parents that are never allowed to die because um, when they're gone, who will take care of them? You know, that was really a very important thing to her. So, you know, no one could, could love her like her and her family could love Izzy. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Vicki? Yes. What yes. would you like to um, say? I have to say, you know, it's it's interesting because obviously, um, you know, we have lived this with Kelly over the over the past couple of years, and I have to say, I am still reeling just listening to the both of you. Um, so uh, I apologize for being quite emotional right now, but um, this has been extremely difficult. Um, you know, I wasn't aware. I met Kelly just a couple of years ago, so stepping into this with kind of. Um, naive eyes, um, it was just very surprising to me the struggles that were, that when she initially started to talk about her family, they were very downplayed. And to me, the most shocking part was when it came to the realization that um, what a struggle that this family has gone through for so many years. And um, uh, I am surprised, you know, more that I, the more that I learn, um, they're just these un- incredible, difficult stories. There's so many, and, and Kelly talked about so many on her on her blog. But um, like I said, um, to me, it's it's just so very heartbreaking, um, especially where we're at now. Um, and I think, you know, um, Carol, that you just you were so amazing to help her, and um, uh, I just. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm quite emotional and a little overwhelmed, um, even at this point, even a couple weeks later. Yeah, um, I apologize for that. And, and I, I've said um, several times, you know, like I was um, Kelly's friend, and she started to explain all of this, um, you know, over 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 the course of the year leading up to all of this, how incredibly stressful this had been on her. And um, the, the biggest thing that I want to say that I that I take responsibility for is that as her friend. Um, you know, Kelly, uh, as you explained earlier, that she had been she she was attacked by Izzy. She was she was the brunt of um, the aggression, and um, her big fear was you know protecting Ainsley, the younger daughter. And um, Kelly had been knocked unconscious, um, and the second time that she had been knocked unconscious, conscious, I had noticed that she had difficulty. Um, finishing sentences and um, having clear thoughts and she would repeat herself and um, I just want to say that as her friend this is the this is the, the thing that I carry with me the most um, through all of this is that um, I knew she wasn't okay and um, I wish so badly that I had insisted that she go and get um, care after that you know really good care after that second head trauma and um, and I knew that she was depressed, and I wish that I had done more. I really do. Yes, I I know that. Um, I know. I think all the family and friends who were close and who cared about Kelly were, especially during the sentencing, um, were asking themselves. You know, were feeling bad about why didn't they do more? But as you um, have mentioned. Uh, it was very hard to get through to Kelly because because she wanted to she she kept putting it that's the one of the main problems that she kept putting Izzy first um she kept saying that when Izzy gets help you know whenever people would tell uh, Kelly to get help Kelly would say 
Izzy's the one who needs help. When Izzy gets help, you know, when that's taken care of, then we'll see about me. But, um, but she always put Izzy first. And, of course, that so sadly turned out to be um, the main problem, that she wasn't really getting help for herself. And, yes, you know, let me, what I diagnosed Kelly with um, was PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, because, um, and, of course, this is all, the, you know, there was a ton of media at the trial, so this is all public knowledge. Um, and it, it was post-traumatic stress disorder because she was living in a war zone. Her house had become a war zone because before Izzy went to, to the rehab center, um, she, her acts of violence were six, every six minutes. I mean, can you imagine, if you're, if you're listening and you're a parent, Imagine if the child that you love and who you've tried to do over and above to, to take care of them was, was hitting you, attacking you, sometimes knocking you unconscious. Um, and, and these kinds of attacks, not, you know, not, all, not all of them being unconscious, but to that point, but every six minutes if you had, had to deal with a, an aggressive child, I mean, that is just soul-destroying. And then also Kelly has a mood disorder, and she has traumatic brain injuries, which are the aftermath of all of Izzy's assaults. And so all of these things together made it very difficult for her to to think straight. I mean, all of these things combined to make her legally insane at the time of this incident. Well, we need to take a break. We're going to be talking to some more people who were close to Kelly and who also are reeling. I'm reeling, too, still from the sentencing. And so um, when we come back, we will talk to some uh, additional people and and hear other aspects of, of this sad story. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787, Hello? and ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 
5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, uh, here today with the friends and family of Kelly Stapleton. We're talking about Snapped. Uh, Kelly Stapleton, who has just a week or so ago been sentenced to 10 to 22 years. She was originally charged with attempted murder of her autistic daughter. She was convinced to plead to uh, child abuse first degree. Um, and she uh, recently was given a, not a trial but a sentencing. And we'll talk about all of the different mistakes that were made in the legal wranglings of her case and and how we got to this sad state. But right now, um, well, we have heard from Vicki Slater and Marlo Franklin, her two best friends, and now we're going to be hearing from Sandy Johnson, her stepmother, and Jackie Burns, her stepsister. So, Sandy, why don't you start? Just, just give us your reactions to, you know, I guess you knew Kelly starting when she was a little girl and seven years old, right? Yes. I, actually, she was closer to five. Okay. And, and, uh, uh, and here we, you know, all these years later, she's 46 now, you know, it, little, little could you have ever imagined that this cute little, sweet little girl would be sentenced to 10 to 22 years for first degree child abuse. So tell us, tell us how you're feeling. Oh, well, I, I feel this is the worst case of injustice I've ever seen in my life. I no longer have much faith in our justice system. Mm-hmm. Why would you punish someone who's ill? Yes. She, Kelly is not the kind of person to have ever done anything like this. The fact that she made the decision she did just goes to prove just how unstable and, and in need of help that she was. Yes. If she had a growth on the side of her head and did something, they wouldn't punish her, they would treat her. Mm -hmm. But our system doesn't see it that way. Yes, yes. If she had been diagnosed with a brain tumor, God forbid, or something like that, then she might have stood a better chance. Exactly. uh, As far as her sentencing. But, um, yes, it is is very... um, uh, people, well, you know, what did you think about the um, the feeling or the things that were outside of the courtroom that might have been impacting the decision of the judge? Well, I think, number one, that she should never have been tried in that community, mm-hmm. or, even though she wasn't tried or sentenced. I think the influence in a small community like that uh, had a bearing on um, some of the decisions that were made by the court officials and the people doing the investigation. Mm-hmm. And uh, she was she, she was the outsider. Also, you know, she spent years being the outsider and and trying to do the right thing by her. Kelly loves children. Kelly loves all children. And she would never, in her right mind, harm a child. Yes, yes. And I guess so, we should mention that she was, before this happened, she, was, she ran a dance studio 
in the town, and all yes. the little girls who uh, were there loved her. You know, she taught them dance, and Vicky now is, has taken that over. And um, and so yes, um, I know. I I that that was one of the things that I think I probably underestimated the influence, or I didn't want to believe actually that there would be that much influence um, by her um, her husband's um, influential family in that town. And you know, I, I always, of course, I'm, I kick myself for things that I didn't get to say. But at the time, because it was a sentencing and not a trial, I mean, that's the biggest frustration for me. And as the yes. judge said uh, at the end in the sentencing, that had there been a trial, um, it is more than likely that at least one juror would have understood and believed um, the psychiatric testimony that I provided, that she was legally insane and would have acquitted her, wouldn't have gone along with finding her guilty. And so, so as as one of the problems of having a sentencing hearing and not a trial is that, of course, it's just left up to one judge. And also, we each had so much, so little time to say what we wanted. And one of the things that I had wanted to say, I, I kind of decided I wouldn't say anything against what um, her mother-in-law and sister-in-law had said because I didn't think the judge was going to count that very much. But I guess I underestimated that um, because being told that um, you know, some of the things that they said about her, which had to do not with this incident regarding Izzy, right. but had to do with the fact that they never liked her to begin with. Like you mentioned, she was an outsider. And she, she was. was. they didn't think of her as being good enough for their son because I don't think they would have thought any woman was good enough, but especially um, an outsider and, and someone like Kelly who, you know, wasn't like them in a lot of ways. Um, but it was, <laughs> it was for those... Um, some of those ways that made her so lovable and made their son and brother uh, fall in love with her. But, okay, let's, um, Jackie, what would you like to say? I agree with my mom. I was very surprised by the direction that the judicial system took with us. I fear that um, by this judge, I don't think he ever looked at Kelly's mental illness, and by that I mean because when he did sentence her, he didn't sentence her to any kind of mental illness treatment, Yes, yes. which means if she chooses not to have it, she doesn't have it. Yes, that's a good point. Um, yes, that's true. Was, I don't think it should have ever been done in that venue. I, When the first person in Grand Rapids wrote the paper that she thought she should be institutionalized and Benzie County came up and took her before the papers could be filed, I think was just right there was the first step of what went wrong. Yeah, And I think right. that was deliberate. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. Carol, I think one thing to point out, too, is that um, you said um, that that the, you felt like the court had a lot of support from the community um, to make sure that Kelly um, had a pretty lengthy sentence. And another thing that I think is important to point out is that, you know, through all of this, you know, autism is such a pervasive, vague disorder. You have so many kids and people on the spectrum of, that are really high-functioning, people who can hold jobs and, and do all these things. But then you have a, another um, population of people that and children that can never be independent and really always depend on um, on other people. And that's really hard for people to sometimes understand. Yes. Um, it, the one thing that was really um, disappointing to me was that we never had an organization 
that, or a group of, well, we had a group of people, but not really a, a structured group of people that were ever able to come out and support Kelly. For example, um, I, I believe that the judge was influenced by um, adult advocacy um, or autism organizations. I think that they really believe that um, they have you know, been done wrong in so many reasons. It's very difficult for them to be able to empathize with um, a parent. Um, and, and so I think that they had a lot of, well, I don't know if they had a lot of influence, but I know that they did have some influence. Um, and they were really yelling and screaming that, you know, Izzy's life um, is just as important as a non-disabled child. I don't think that anybody ever disputed that, you know. But I also think the judge, um, I, I almost feel like he made an example of her. And I don't I do like too. that at all because, you know what, <laughs> Kelly is a, is a battered woman. When you look at women who are battered by their husbands or battered by their, you know, their boyfriends or whatever, anybody, you know, there's, and like you said, Carol, PTSD, traumatic brain injuries, and then a mental illness. And I can't even imagine, like, what it would be like to be abused by your child um, the person that you're supposed to be taking care of and you're supposed to love forever and raise forever and the, uh, the person that you cannot reason with, you know, um, that, that's a really difficult thing. I don't think the judge made a very good decision at all in this case. I think that he was um, very rash, and I don't think that he fully understood um, who was speaking from the other side, meaning these uh, adult autism organizations. Yes, um, yes. You know, you, anybody can be an organization or a nonprofit organization, but what is it that's meaningful that they do in this world? You know, that should give them some credibility. Yes, he did mention that. A couple of times that came up where letters kept coming in <laughs> during the sentencing. And um, we had from quite a few letters questionable from organizations. Parents. Right, and, and we course, had quite a few letters from parents on the other side, and I would say that for just as many of those protesting letters that they had, I would be willing to bet you that we had at least two or three times as many letters in her favor of parents who understand, parents who are um, in the same situation, and, you know, parents that are devastated by this. This is a really big deal um, in social media right now. Yes, and we would hope that it doesn't... um start a precedence. I mean, not that we, not that we, any of us are encouraging um, parents to, to get to this point of being so desperate that this is, you know, that their mind snaps and this is what they do. But at the same time, um, you know, hopefully this won't set a legal precedent in terms of what you do uh, with a parent who has co- come to this breaking point rather than giving them psychiatric treatment. And yes, that's a good point, even though, of course, um, what I what I said, what I recommended to the judge was that whatever amount of time he decides Kelly should be incarcerated, that that should be spent in a psychiatric hospital. Exactly. And that after that, she should be in psychiatric outpatient treatment um, for some number of times per week, depending upon, you know, one to three times a week, plus she needs medication. Um, and yes, uh, he, he not only didn't sentence her to a psychiatric hospital for incarceration, so to speak, but, um, but he didn't make any rulings about, about psychiatric enough. treatment. Of course, part of the problem was um, he also mentioned not only that the attorneys should have uh, brought her to trial, but he also said that they should have, uh, if she was going to plead guilty to child abuse instead of first-degree murder, um, or attempted murder, I mean, um, which carries, which, you know, first-degree first child abuse in Michigan apparently carries the same potential sentence as 
um, as, as attempted murder, which is um, life imprisonment. And, right. in fact, Kelly could have gotten life in prison. So, I mean, thank goodness for that, at least. Yeah. But, um, the, other, right. the other part, Carol, too, I think is important is that the judge did not, he, it was like he couldn't understand. He said at one point, most parents don't take their child, um, you know, and, and do this, try to, try to harm their child. And he's right. Most parents do not. A lot of parents can un- identify with that feeling, you know, that feeling of grief and despair and, uh, and all of that stuff. But what took Kelly, what I believe, and I think what we would all agree, is what took Kelly to that place of um, crossing over and making that choice was her mental illness mm-hmm. and the fact that she was suffering from PTSD and she was yes. suffering from a tra- you know, traumatic brain injury. So, so that's the difference. And, a lot of, and I think people are, have a really difficult time understanding that. Yes, and so he was saying that the, her attorney should have pled, uh, if they were going to plead guilty to uh, first-degree child abuse, it should have been but mentally ill, and they didn't do that. Mm-hmm. No, but the... even without that, you would think that with everything he heard and everything that he saw with the physical evidence of the trauma to the head, that why didn't he, if he was just, to me, he was just looking at the act of what happened. He did not look at the acts that led up to this. Yes. They all wanted their pound of flesh. And, they and that's it. how I felt, and I felt that way especially when he did not order her to psychiatric treatment. Even in the facility she's in now, there is a psychiatric treatment, but if she chooses not to take it, she doesn't have to now. Well, strangely, I I feel that he just overlooked a lot of it. Yes, go ahead. Who was trying to speak? It's it's me, Vicki. I I felt that that he seemed to um, think that he had his hands tied because she had already pled guilty to first-degree child abuse, and he was saying, you know, if she had... Um, put in this, ple- uh, you know, guilty plea, um, but mentally insane, he could have done something. If she had um, gone to trial, he could have done something. But the fact of the matter is he did have control. And, and halfway through this, um, after a couple of us spoke on the stand, he said, you know, he apologized. You're not going to like what I have to do. Um, so it was tough for me because I don't understand the legal side of it. But I have to say I've been in that courtroom for a year watching different um you know, for Kelly has had multiple hearings on different things, and and I have witnessed him sentence people and witnessed him sentence low, way below below the guidelines. And in one particular case, this gentleman had um, post traumatic stress, and he was supposed to it was you know uh, suggested that he go to prison for nine years, and it was his sentencing. And the judge said, "I'm going to let him off for." Um, you know, to go back in the hands of um, the VA so that this man can get treatment because we don't understand post-traumatic stress. Mm-hmm. And so the difficult part is that he did have the power to make a difference here. And, um, you know, it's tough because we're not lawyers. And Kelly, um, you know, it was her decision on, on what to plead. But the difficult part of that, too, is, Carol, I know you've pointed out, is that she it's difficult because you she's not in the right mind to make the perfect decision and, and, you know, she's asking us, you know, she asked Marlo and I quite a bit to help make these big choices. Um, and, and so ultimately I just feel like this was the, um, everything happened the, the complete wrong direction. All we ever, all we ever wanted, all of us was for Kelly to get help. Um, yes. 
And now, and now we have a very long sentence and there is no help. And, and it's very frustrating because we all feel like this judge could have yes. done something. Well, yes. you know, he when had the discretion. That was the whole point he of did. dropping it down to the child abuse was it gave him the discretion on sentencing, which he chose not to do. And he's also the one that took the break after Heidi had made a point on one of those, the point system thing from the probationary thing. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. And he came back, and after he had reduced it, he came back after his little break and brought it back up yes. to, and, and I find that a little disturbing. Yes, it does seem to point to the fact that there were other forces besides what was going on in that courtroom. Yeah. One, one thing about her mental illness that is extremely disturbing, and I think everybody should really be aware of, is that you know Kelly was awarded more points on the probation sentencing investigation report for trying to harm herself. That was yes. very disturbing. When you go back and look at it, the report said um, harming two or more people and they right. included Kelly in that. Yes. That is really preposterous. That, that's over the top. We, you don't sentence a person um, with mental illness who tries to kill themselves um, to jail time. Yes. And, and extended jail time because that, that continued to up her, you know, put her up, up in the sentencing guidelines. So well, yes, there were a number of, of sentencing um, guideline points that she should never have gotten. And yes, I think that was the most preposterous of all. I mean, that's for something like if there's a drunk driver and you wind up hitting a car and killing two people instead of one person or three or four or five. Exactly. So, you know, then it gets to be, you get more points. You get, uh, you should have a longer sentence. But when one of those people is yourself, it just totally defies logic um, to count that, uh, especially when you are mentally ill. Exactly. I agree. Exactly. So in Michigan, I guess had the, the rule should be do not try to harm wanted. yourself or you go to jail. <laughs> yeah, right. Right? I mean, that, that's what he said. Yes, that's right. That's right. And these are all disturbing potential um, long-range consequences, you know, precedents that other cases may look to in the future. Of course, on the positive side, as we all know, or at least I'm assuming um, from what I've heard so far, that Kelly is, has signed... Um, the forms to ask for an appeal of the sentencing guidelines and for a trial? Yes. Well, for yes. the sentencing guidelines. Well, we need... What do you know of, Marla? Okay. Well, I guess we, it's time. We, we have to take a break now. Um, I will, we'll, we'll work on Kelly if she hasn't signed the other one yet, which, which I think was a factor, of, also a factor that can relate to her. Uh, incompetent um, representation, legal representation. Um, Sandy and Jackie, I want to thank you so much for joining us and for adding your comments to these well important points um, to this sad story that we're all going to work on to try to turn around. So J- Sandy Johnson and Jackie Burns, thank you so much. And thank, thank you, you. Thank you, and thank You've you for all your help, and we're going to just keep pushing on. Absolutely. Thank you. And thank you. And thank you for listening. We're going to be back in a minute. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. 
VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking with you today about SNAPT, the sad, tragic, actually, story of Kelly Stapleton and her daughter, Izzy, um, uh, she is an autistic daughter who Kelly has devoted her life trying to help until at one point on September 3rd, 2013, she snapped. I've talked about what her mental illnesses were at the time. She just, uh, we just all are still reeling from a sentencing hearing uh, at the beginning of October in which she was sentenced to 10 to 22 years. And I made the point of Oscar Pistorius only getting five years for the murder of his girlfriend, Reva Steenkamp, whereas Izzy um, is alive and it has not been proven that she has any lasting injuries from the incident that occurred on September 3rd. So Lisa Sane is now joining us. She, um, all of you are amazing. Vicki and Marlo have been, I want to make sure I include this. <laughs> Vicki and Marlo, I know you blame yourselves, and yes, we all think we're all beating ourselves up, thinking we should have done better in one way or another. But um, Vicki and Marlo have been, without them, um, organizing things. I, I went to see Kelly at the end of July. I spent three days in Michigan, in Traverse City, in Benzie County, northern Michigan, and um, spent three days with Kelly and then also interviewing her friends and family. And um, if it weren't for Vicki and Marlo, who helped during that time and after that time, organizing all the things that I needed, um, I wouldn't have been able to testify as well as I did at the time. Although, although of course, we're, still, we're not happy with <laughs> the results would have been better, could have been better, should have been better had we had a trial. Um, Lisa is um, testified at the sentencing as well. And on the Dr. Phil show, we all, all three, four of us were on the Dr. Phil show. I want to say, and I'll tell you how to find it um, on the Internet before the end of the show. Um, but I, when I, one, of the time, one of the days or at the time that I was in Michigan meeting um, with Kelly and, and all these, her family and friends, um, what I kept hearing was how Kelly had wanted to be on a television show, notably Dr. Phil, to get her story out, how hard it is to cope with an autistic child who is as violent as Izzy was and is. Um, 
And uh, so I was able to make that happen. And um, Lisa, Vicki and Marlo and Lisa were on the show as well. Um, and Lisa has been incredibly brave to tell her story, her personal story of her experiences with her autistic son. And she testified about that as well at the hearing. And basically throwing herself under the bus... <laughs> To, um, to tell people about her story. So I'm going to ask you one more time <laughs> to, uh, well, I'd hate to put it, throw yourself under the bus, but to tell the sto- your own story. Hi, Dr. Lieberman and everyone listening. I, in a nutshell, was in sort of the same scenario, and I am a parent to a very violent and aggressive child with severe autism. My son is much bigger than I am. I'm five foot two, and my son was um, in a treatment facility, which uh, that's making a very long story short because it took such a long time for me to get my son placed into the facility. Uh, before he was able to be placed, I was at my wit's end. I was at the breaking point. I couldn't take the everyday 24-7 turmoil that we talk about as parents of these aggressive, violent, autistic children. And I keep stressing that because as I don't know, I think Marlo or Vicki said at the beginning of the show that not every child with autism is violent, you know. So I need to stress that, that majority of the kids that do have autism aren't like this type of, do not have this type of autism. But there is a good majority of them out there that do, and it's hard. It's very hard. And I have raised my son from the time he was 18 months old until recently on my own because I'm widowed, and I did not get any services, not because we didn't qualify for them, but because my son was so severe and so hard and so violent and aggressive that we were unable to keep any type of respite workers or what they call uh, CLS staffing, things like that, to help me in caring for my son in order to give me a break. Even, uh, And I don't mean a break to go to the movies. I mean a break to you know, catch up on sleep and maybe get a drink of water. And so after years and years of trying to find staff for us, it it just, it it didn't, it wasn't working. Nobody would stay. I had people walk in, meet him for 10 minutes and say, I can't do this. And so I never, ever had one person that was able to stay for more than a week. And so after years and years of this and my son getting bigger and harder to manage and Oh, it's really hard. My heart's pounding even talking about it. But I, I, it's a short show, I'm sure, and I need to just cut to the chase. Yeah. I couldn't do it anymore. I could no longer care for my son emotionally, physically, and I contemplated killing myself and my child in order to end it because... I just didn't want the suffering to go on. I didn't have any hope. And I think when you lose hope, which is what Kelly kind of did, uh, uh, you don't see any other way. Mm-hmm. And? So I decided I was going to go ahead and run us into the train track. And I wanted to end the suffering that way. I didn't, 
I thought about killing just him, but I knew I, I couldn't do that. And I thought about just killing myself, but then how would I leave him behind? And it's been a struggle. It's hard to admit that. And it was, I'm glad it didn't happen, but it happens. And I know of many other families, there's a group that I belong to with over 130 members of children that are this severe and this extreme and this aggressive and abusive and violent. And there probably isn't one day that I don't hear someone say that they just want to end their life. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's hard and it's a fine line to you have to be very careful because we're talking about dealing with your local community mental health department, psychiatrists, doctors, the police departments, et cetera, et cetera. And as a parent, you don't want your child taken away from you because you love them and you know they're going to end up in the foster care system. So we have to tread lightly. We are not speaking about this out loud because we're scared. If hmm. we do admit, hey, I, I'm, I might be suicidal here or I am suicidal, what happens to our children if we are deemed not mm. able to care for our kids? Mm. We don't want mm-hmm. them to end up in the foster care system. If your own mom or dad is struggling to take care of you, how is a stranger going to find the love for this child that isn't theirs to take care of them? Yes. So that's our biggest fear, and we're not coming out and talking about it. And yes. the reason we're not is because there aren't solutions. We do not have solutions. And one of the things I want to mention to uh, interrupt me, if you don't want me to keep... Well, I, no, I just want to go back and one thing. When you were talking about the train tracks, I, just, you, you, I wanted to make sure that people know that the reason why you picked that as you know, the final desperate solution that you thought of was because your son... His his favorite thing is is trains, and so that was the connection to that. And um, and also, um, I know that you've been working recently to, um, and maybe that's where you were going to help parents um, to to make a law to help parents not have to give up their parental rights to their children in order for the state to take over and get them help. That's correct, because at this point, and I can tell you, there were so many times I recall, and I even remember talking to Kelly one day and saying, I've been told it again. I literally was just told over the phone that, you know, if you were to abandon him at the psychiatric unit and not pick him up when they tell you it's time for him to go home, then, you know, you will be arrested and you will, you know, your parental rights will be taken away and then he'll get treatment. Hmm. And I was told this by, not you know, my neighbor. This is a state worker that told me this. Yes, and that is so sad. So what I want to do is prohibit parental custody relinquishment to allow voluntary placement when a family is seeking mental health treatment for their child, you know, through the local CMH or Department of Child and Family Services or whatever, when when families have tried every other treatment option in, in everything, you know, all the other treatments that they've tried are failing and not working. Some of these children, unfortunately, we can't. I don't know how to say that without sounding like I'm some horrible monster parent. The guilt is horrible. It's not what I want to do. It's what I have to do to save my son and to save myself. Yes. And I'll be honest, I don't look forward to this. I don't want it. We need it. But I just don't see any other solution. 
you know, I just don't. I yes, I mean, here's the. You know, I think one of the most for anyone who sort of still doubts this, um, because this is the problem. Uh, autism, autism is an epidemic in itself, and everyone knows someone who has a child with autism. And people, therefore, don't want to believe that some of those children, the most severe cases, can actually be so brutally violent, especially when they grow up and they get to be bigger or as big as their parent. They have incredible strength. And so this is like the dirty little secret that no one wants to talk about because we all have friends or family or someone who has a child with autism, so it feels like you're being disloyal. But we need to talk about it because otherwise there won't be enough help. Um, and one of the things that, that can be found on the Internet is um, Kelly's daughter, Izzy, at the Michigan Rehab Center, where she is seen attacking um, two therapists, one a man who is a really big man, um, and the other a woman who's a worker there, and her mother, because Kelly was the number one target of Izzy's aggression. Um, and even these two therapists, these workers, this huge man, couldn't together, and Kelly's, and Kelly, couldn't stop Izzy. I mean, it took a long time for them to get Izzy to sit down and calm down. So for anyone who's wondering, oh, how much, you know, what kind of violence could this really be, you need to watch that. Um, and and, and it is horrifying, and we need minutes. help for that, not to put parents... I mean, in other words, if a, if, a, if a worker, a mental health worker who works in this kind of a rehab unit has this much trouble, if two of them have this much trouble in getting an, a severely autistic child under control, then it is an impossible situation to expect that parents or a mother uh, alone can, um, can do it. Um, and Carol, Carol, you know, it's, it, what I said before is that, you know, these families are living so, it, it's, there's so much, um, it's not a dignified way for a family to live. It's not a dignified yeah. way for a child to live. And yes. I think it's really unfortunate that um, our country, not even just our state, but our country is allowing this to happen. And to, to, to think that there was no one in the state of Michigan that, that, um, that people didn't know about this, that, yes. that yes. our um, state did not know about this. Our legislators knew about it. Yes. Our state department of community health. I mean, everybody knew about this yes. situation. And, that, and, and they knew even, about... And even after Kelly was knocked unconscious twice, that still nothing happened. They still did nothing. We're, we're kind of running out of time, so I just want to... I had promised that I would talk about five things. <laughs> These are just five... Things and, and, of course, today we've only been able to go over some highlights or lowlights, whatever you want to call them, um, from, you know, our, our reactions to this whole situation, and I hope it gives you insight. Um, but some of the things that went wrong with the sentencing is, first of all, that Kelly pled to first-degree child abuse rather than go to trial. The judge said she would have been better off at trial. Um, the second thing is that another example of it, her inadequate representation by counsel is that... Um, uh, they colluded with Kelly in having her agree to the plea deal instead of going to trial and to not plead uh, guilty of first-degree child abuse but mentally ill. And then um, Kelly herself was her worst enemy because she has felt so guilty for everything that happened to Izzy that she wasn't able to cure her or, or get her to a better behavioral state that she actually self sacrificed and sabotaged herself during the trial, during the sentencing, I mean, no trial, during the sentencing, and, um, and, and almost asked for, did ask for, the judge to punish her to the greatest degree 
uh, possible. Fortunately, he didn't give her life, but 10 to 22 years is way too much. And uh, we talked about the pre-sentencing guidelines that somewhat hampered the judge, but not really. He could have done better. So thank you all for sharing your stories, your reactions, and for helping Kelly. And thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. Oh, I said I would tell you, if you Google, if you go to YouTube and you Google Kelly Stapleton and Dr. Phil, you'll see the two shows that he did on her. Um, the 15th, the September 15th is the show that he, where he interviewed her in jail. And September 16th is the show in the studio <coughs> where Vicki Slater, Marlo Franklin, Lisa Sane, and I were on his show and tried to explain this unexplainable situation. So thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network its staff and management.